morning. It's so good to see each and every one of you this morning. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, who is that guy up there? Well, I, I have been experiencing a little bit of trouble with my glasses, so I've reverted back to contacts this morning. Uh, so I, I do look a little bit differently, but hopefully that won't, that won't uh, affect our sermon this morning. I'm so pleased to be here with each and every one of you. It's so encouraging to be with you, especially, as was mentioned in the prayer, my family is not with me this morning. They're uh, worshiping out of town, and, and as hard as that is, it's made much easier by having you all here and by being able to be with my spiritual family. So I'm so, so happy to be here with you this morning. As Joe just read from us, um, from the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to be spending a little bit of time there this morning in Matthew. So if you want to go ahead and have your Bibles open to that passage, that's where we will... We will spend a great deal of our time right here in chapter 5, and I want to be talking this morning about a problem that is much more detrimental to us than sometimes we often think, and, and that is the, the first topic that, we're gonna, that is going to be discussed in this passage. In, in verse 19 through 20, as was read, Jesus was giving a challenge to his listeners. He was challenging his listeners. He was saying that you need to attain a higher righteousness. Attain a higher righteousness, one that is higher than that of the scribes, higher than that of the Pharisees. And to show this, to help them understand this, he uses a strategy of contrast. He is going to compare something that they had previously heard to what he was saying now and show how they are different. <clears throat> and that's what I want to take time this morning to do is to focus on this first contrast that he makes. This first contrast is concerning the sixth commandment. If you'll remember back in Exodus Chapter 20, we're given the commandments. The sixth commandment was, Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not murder. And Jesus is going to use the contrast of this commandment to discuss the problem of anger. Anger. It's a very real problem that we have in our lives. Maybe when you're uh, little, you might remember, maybe it was an uncle, maybe it was an older brother, but somebody kind of getting in control of you, controlling your arms, and they would inevitably start hitting you with your own hands, your own fists, and maybe they kind of mocked in your ear, stop hitting yourself. Stop hitting yourself. Why are you doing that? Stop hitting yourself. I know uh, if you ask my brother, he remembers those days, I'm sure. But, but we, we, we can all kind of relate to that. We can think of something like that. Anger is just like that. Anger is exactly like that. The devil gets control of you. He has control of your emotions, of your actions. And he says, stop killing yourself. Stop killing yourself. That's what, that's what Jesus is trying to convey to us in these passages. And I thought it important for the people, or, or Jesus, excuse me, thought it important for the people of that day to understand this lesson. How much more so is it important for us as well to, to go and to look at this. So before we get started, though, let's first look at what Jesus says about the tradition of murder. The traditional view of murder. And I did say tradition because Jesus is responding to the traditional interpretation of the law. He wasn't responding to the law itself. If you'll notice in verse 21, he says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. He says, You have heard, uh, the NASB says, You have heard that the ancients were told. At this time, oral tradition was a huge thing to the people of this day. In Matthew 15 and verse 2, that, that tradition is seen as they question the uh, disciples of Jesus. Matthew 15 and verse 2, 
they, we see the scribes and the Pharisees saying, uh, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. So we see that that's a big thing at this time is tradition. They rely a lot upon tradition, the traditional understanding of things. And that's not too big a uh, different from today. We a lot rely a lot upon tradition, upon things that we have been taught by parents and by society. Maybe you've heard the passage or the uh, the phrase "Don't get mad, get even." Cares with this idea that that you know uh, just just wait, don't let it flare up now, but don't let go of whatever it is that's bothering you. Hold on to that because you're going to have your opportunity one day. Maybe revenge is a best dish is a dish best served cold. You know, you'll get yours one day. Just wait and, and hold on to that thought. Hold on to that, that feeling so you'd be ready to, to unleash it upon whoever the victim is. That's the kind of understanding that a lot of people have today, and even possibly Christians today. So look at again in verse 21 as we go on. Jesus is saying that these, these actions, you know, that their understanding was, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. Again, the, back to the NASB, it says that they will be in danger of of the courts. Uh, whoever commits murder shall be liable to the courts. Now, this was probably talking about the courts of that day, so just, just the, the basic where, where you would go to be placed before a, a group of, of your peers to, to be considered what, what you had done. But, and, and in our understanding, we might go, well, that, that, sounds, that sounds fine. I mean, that makes sense today. When you murder someone, you're caught, you're arrested, you go to court. They look at what you did, and they, they weigh it and say whether you're guilty or not, and, and you're either let free or you go to jail. But Jesus is going to go on to say that the act of murder, excuse me, I'm going to get myself caught up here. The act of murder was more than what was being concerned here. He was asking questions, should the followers of Jesus, or should, the, should disciples only be concerned with murder? Should that be the only thing they're concerned about? So in that first verse, he really, he really lays out that this is a tradition that you are going through, that you have an understanding of. But here, I'm going to go in and I'm going to teach you a better way to understand this. He starts this in verse 22. We see Jesus' teachings. And the first thing he does is he pronounces judgment on anger. Not on murder, but on anger. Look in verse 22. It says, everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. Both the King James and the New King James Version uh, throw in a, another phrase in there, human who is angry with his brother without a cause. And the reason that it, some transcripts have this phrase, other transcripts do not have that phrase without a cause, but some have gone on to say that, well, Jesus was a hypocrite. How could he say this? How could he say that if you're angry with your brother, that you're in danger of the judgment when Jesus himself was mentioned as being angry over in Mark 3 and verse 5? Mark 3 and verse 5, when, when, he, was, when he was healing the man and, the, and they were, he asked, is this lawful to do on the on the Sabbath, and nobody would answer him. It said he looked around at them in anger. Jesus was angry. Well, we go on to see that there is a certain type of anger that is acceptable to the Lord. An anger against a brother is not something that he is, that he is looking for, but rather an anger against sin, a righteous indignation. But that's not the anger that he's talking about here. He is talking about a deep-seated anger, an anger that you have towards another, something that you hold up, something that you, pin, you, you, you build up in your heart, you won't let go of. It's the type of anger he's talking about. <clears throat> and he says this kind of anger is punishable at the court level. At the court level. That, that to us is a weird, a weird feeling, a weird thought. He's saying, just a minute ago, he was saying, you understand that murder is punishable at this level of judgment of the courts. 
But I'm telling you, anger is punishable at that level, at that, at that level of the courts. And he goes on to make another compare, or another contrast. says, whoever says to your brother, you good for nothing, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. Again, some translations say, uh, whoever says to his brother, raka, which just means empty head. When you, when you let that anger proceed from your heart and you start, it starts to become something that, that you spew out. He says, this is one who is guilty before the Supreme Court or before the council. Again, this might simply be talking about something like the Sanhedrin, uh, a place where, where special criminals were tried, a, a higher level of, of punishment for that, of just, of just simple murder. But they would go up even farther for the Sanhedrin. And he's saying that, that if you let the anger from your heart spew out, now it's taken to another level, and you're, you're guilty before the Supreme Court. But then he takes it another, star, another step further and says, Whoever says you fool shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. The word here used for hell is Gehenna. It's the same word used in Mark 9, verse 43 through 48. It describes an everlasting torment, an everlasting separation from God. And the thing is, Jesus' teachings, they weren't just his, his thoughts on this that he had made up on the spot. They were completely in harmony with the law. If you'll think back to Proverbs, <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 6. In Proverbs chapter 6, starting in verse 16, the proverb writer says, These six things the Lord hates, just seven are an abomination to him, a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, that would be the murder that we're talking about, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift and running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren. I want to focus on two things that he says here. After, after hands that shed innocent blood, he goes on to talk about a heart that devises wicked uh, plans. And then, a, and then one who sows discord among brethren. Do those sound like very happy people to you? When you're a happy person, when you're really a joyful person, when you're a loving person, do you devise evil plans? Is that, does that describe, are, the, are those characteristics the same? Do you just look for opportunities to sow discord among the brethren? These things that are, being, that are being talked about are people who are angry, people who have anger in their hearts, and it says that that's something that is an abomination on the same level as murder to God. <clears throat> the tradition that Jesus was pointing out to them, the tradition they had, it fell short of the law. The righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees only condemned murder, but it made exception for those who had hateful emotions in their heart that were just as guilty as murder. The righteousness of the kingdom, on the other hand, would be in contrast to that. It would be in harmony with the law. Turn over to Psalms. Psalms 37 and verse 8. Psalm 37 verse 8 says, Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, it only causes harm. Same thing is mentioned in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 31 reads, excuse me, I'm in Galatians. Ephesians 4 and verse 31, we read, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And again in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 19. Galatians 5, verse 19 through 20. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, 
selfish ambitions, dissension, heresies, evil or envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that these who pra- those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So Jesus is, is, is teaching this, this judgment on anger as, opposed, as, as equal with murder, and he is completely in harmony with what the scriptures think, uh, taught about, with what the law said about it, and with what would later be said about the kingdom. But then he goes on to do a, a second thing. He illustrates the seriousness of anger. Continue on in, Math, in uh, Matthew chapter 5. Continue on now in verse 23. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. What he was saying here is that the seriousness of anger, the seriousness of having this emotion in our heart is, is that it affects our worship. It can affect our worship. And he says, in fact, don't even try to worship God when there is something between you and a brother. Did you notice here that he also leaves it, he leaves it very generic? He doesn't say if you remember that you have something against your brother. It doesn't say that you remember that, you're, that you, you were really mean to your brother or that you have this hatred towards your brother. He says, remember that your brother has something against you. Even if you know that your brother has something against you, do what you can first to try and, and resolve that situation. Try and repair that relationship first. Make those, make those actions. And this isn't the only type of place that we see this warning. We see the same type of warning for, for the husband-wife relationship in 1 Peter 3 and verse 7. It talks about husbands not to be bitter with your wives because it will affect your prayer life. So this is, this is a, just another instance of this type of warning that illustrates how seriousness anger can be in the life of a Christian. It says don't, even, don't let it affect your worship. And then in verse 25 through 26, he's going to go on to say, don't let it destroy you. Agree, uh, in verse 25, agree with your adversary quickly while you are on the way with him. Lest your adversary deliver you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer and you will be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. Don't let uncontrollable anger destroy you. How many times have we heard that? Uh, in the lives of those who, who maybe have been placed into prison for doing something. And they, they, it, it starts out. They didn't wake up one morning and go, Today, today is the day that I'm going to go out and I'm going to kill a random person. For the most part, uh, the 99% of the time, I'm sure, most people don't wake up that morning and go, That's what I want to do today. But rather, it starts somewhere else. It starts somewhere in the heart. And it grows and it festers. And it gets worse and worse until it leads to an uncontrollable desire to take action on that. He says, be quick to make amends, to avoid trouble. Whether that trouble simply be the court systems and and prison, or maybe that trouble be the loss of a friendship, the the division of, of relationships within the body of Christ. He says, don't, don't be slow to make, to make, an effort to repair these relationships. Later we'll see that we are to be slow to anger, but we are to be quick to try and repair what anger has caused. 
Romans 12 and verse 18 goes on to talk more about this. Romans 12 and verse 18 through 21 says, If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Note that this is, this is how a Christian should be behaving. This is how a Christian should act. Remembering that we are called, in, in, in the, this whole passage, Romans 12, is talk about making sacrifices, making your life a sacrifice. And if we go down through there, we'll see all these ways. This is just another way that we are to make a sacrifice. We are to make a sacrifice of giving what we want. Sometimes what we want is to get our vengeance is to get what we feel like we deserve. We are to sacrifice that want. We are to sacrifice that desire. We are to put that away. If we remember, back over in Matthew 16, he says that you have to deny those things. You have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. That means you need to take up your cross, and you need to have the same attitude that I had, is what Jesus was saying to us in there. It is a sacrifice that we must make. I hope this morning we can see that there is a contrast Jesus was making. And that contrast was between the righteousness of the kingdom and the traditional view of the world. The world and the law in that day, but it it relates to the world today and to the traditional view that we have in this life. He declared that tradition did not go far enough. But members of the kingdom, members of the kingdom will seek to surpass the righteousness of the world. The righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. Jesus was also teaching that anger kills. Anger kills. Improper anger towards our fellow man kills our relationship with God. Anger can kill our relationship with our fellow man. Anger can kill our own lives. It can ruin our lives. We probably have met people before who have have been so caught up so focused on on a a fault that someone had in their lives that they they can be described as nothing more than a festering wound that is just disgusting to spend time with, disgusting to be around. Anger destroys. And as Christians, we are called to deal with anger in our lives. We are called to do so if we desire to be a disciple of Christ. And as I said before, there is is certain types of anger that we can expect God has an anger towards those who won't submit to Him, who won't be obedient to His will. But we can avoid that anger. In John 3 and verse 5, one such way to do so is called to be born again. Talking to Nicodemus, Jesus says, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. This idea of being born again is is discussed again in Ephesians 4. The idea of putting off the old man, which would include the anger that we might have had in that life, and put on a new man. We are to repent and turn away from that old life and, and to turn our hearts towards God, to turn our backs towards the sin that we might have had in that life. Sometimes we we initially make that step. We turn away from the old man. We cast him off, but we don't cast him very far. 
We keep him within arm's reach. So whenever we feel a little bit of, of, of concern, when we feel something that, that bothers us, we can reach back and we can grab back onto that old man. And maybe we can possibly find some comfort in that. That's not the kind of attitude that a Christian should have. That's not what we should be desiring to do. We should completely cast it away, put our focus, our hope, and our trust on the Lord, and put on a new man, a new man who is slow to anger, a new man who is ready to forgive, a new man that remembers vengeance is not ours, but the Lord. Let's remember what 1 Peter 1, verse 22 and 23 says, Since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren. Fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of a seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. Brothers and sisters, this morning, if there is some way, if there is some way that we can assist you in becoming a child of God, if you have not yet taken the steps to do so, to, to be born again, to put off that old man and to put on the new man uh, in Christ, Galatians talks about how that, is, that happens through baptism. We want you to know that we desire to help you in that. But maybe you have done that, but as I said, you, you didn't quite cast that old man away. You put him in your back pocket so you could pull him out when you need him. And you realize that lately you've been looking a lot more back towards that old man and a whole lot less towards God. If there is something that we can do to help you this morning, I hope that you would come forward now as we stand and sing the song that Richard has selected.